<coughs> yes, indubitably old sport. Second down, Peterson again. Adrian Peterson, full head of steam, trip for the goal line and fights his way in for the touchdown. And the Detroit Lions take the lead with 137 to play. Trubisky will hand it to Montgomery. Montgomery to the 20, inside the 20. Timeout is going to be used by the Bears. I'm not sure he got the first down anyway. First down marker is the 19-yard line. Yeah. They're going to pull the chains, and it is well short on this measurement. And everybody giving Daryl Bevel a little love. He's about to go 1-0 as Lions head coach as Matthew Stafford takes the knee to end the come-from-behind win. Man, why is this team falling apart the last two seasons? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. And now you can say you're fired. Welcome into Old Sport Radio here on Wednesday, December 9th. I'm your host, Pat Riley. Those sounds courtesy of the NFL and Chicago Bears. And Matt Nagy has no answers as his Chicago Bears team continues to plummet after their sixth straight loss in brutal fashion to the Detroit Lions, 34-30 in a game where the team led almost the entire way only to cough up the lead with a minute left in the fourth quarter in very questionable fashion when it comes down to decision-making and and how it played out. Just not enough bad things you can say about this team and the way that the season is going right now. And although I threw it in there, Matt Nagy has not been fired yet, but it seems inevitable that that's where this is going as the season nears to the end. The Bears have famously never never fired a coach mid-season, and I don't see that trend changing here in this season. The fact that he hasn't been fired yet leads me to think that he does have the rest of this season to figure it out, probably because mathematically the Bears are not eliminated from playoff contention yet, but anybody who has two working eyes attached to their head can see that this team is not a playoff team, and if they should somehow back their way into it, they will probably lose in the first round badly, because this team is no good right now. No good. The defense, which has been the strong suit of the Bears basically for my entire lifetime, but especially in the Matt Nagy era through the first two seasons, they played their second consecutive piss-poor effort. I'll just come out and say it. It was a piss-poor effort for the second game in a row. They get Hakeem Hicks back, which is obviously huge and instrumental to this team's success on defense, and... While it did help them slow down the run game compared to last game against the Packers, they gave up 
62 yards on 22 carries, good for 2.7 yards a carry, so much better, but they still give up two red zone rushing touchdowns to Adrian Peterson, and now it was the pass defense this week that just could not get anything going. Matthew Stafford, who, he's a future Hall of Famer, that they're he is. When when all is said and done, he will probably hold the record for passing yards in a career. He threw for 402 yards and three touchdowns at times, carving up the Bears' defense like a Thanksgiving turkey. And it was just hard to watch. This, Like I said, this has been a unit that has been the strong point of the Chicago Bears. And I've said in years, not this year, but... Last year, and especially in 2018, at times, they were the best unit in the NFL, offense or defense, just completely dominant at times. And it's really kind of hard to accept that they've fallen off so far, but that's where we're at. This team is 5-7 and seven now after starting 5-1, and one, six straight losses, and everything, everyone is reeling. Where, where do we go from here? How do you put it back on track? This seemed like the game in which you were going to do so, only for you to cough it up in the worst fashion possible. And again, the offense played much better this week than they had in weeks past, albeit against a really bad Lions defense. But... It's still encouraging to see any semblance of offense from this group. They score 30 points for, I'd have to look it up, but I'd assume the first time this year, maybe the second time, Atlanta's the other game that comes to mind, only to blow it and then give up 34 points. So this team just cannot get on the same page with offense and defense. When the defense is great, the offense is criminally bad. And when the offense is good enough, better than they've been, the defense just plays their worst games of the season. And I mentioned the offense played much better, but still a lot to be desired out there. David Montgomery was the the best offensive player for the second week in a row, clearly just looked great with the ball in his hands. Ended the game with 17 carries for 72 yards, four catches for 39 yards, and two touchdowns. So just some quick math there. We got 21 touches for 111 yards and two touchdowns. Good, great production, but why does he only have 21 touches? It's still a decent amount of touches, but when a guy's got a hot hand like that, get him 30 to 35 touches criminally underused in the second half of that game when you're milking a lead and you're trying to close it out. Eight touches, they were all sporadic, was unable to establish any rhythm due to that. Cordero Patterson continues to get full drives at running back, and to his credit, he ran the ball probably the best that he has ran it all season, but when you have a guy on the field like David Montgomery who is producing and producing at a high level, making guys miss, breaking tackles, great ball carrier vision. He looked like a legitimate NFL running back, like a top 10 NFL running back. And we just don't feed him the ball. I I don't understand that. 
especially in a game where, like I said, you're leading for the majority of the game. But what do I know? I'm just a miserable fan who's trying to figure out why this team continues to find ways to shoot themselves in the foot on a week-to-week basis. Play calling was better for the most part until we get towards the end of the game, though. And again, we run into this problem of being unable to score points in the third quarter. It's just mind-boggling. Zero points again in the third quarter of this game. One offensive touchdown in 12 games played in the third quarter. Two total touchdowns with a kick return touchdown. That's just not good enough. When they showed that graphic on the screen, it was it was the embarrassing graphic of the week. That's what we'll start calling those because they show them every week. Last week, it was Rodgers, Watson, Mahomes being the top three in QB rating for a career. This week, it was 12 games worth of third quarter scoring output on the screen and 11 of them having zeros on it because the offense has only scored one touchdown in the third quarter in 12 games. And that's it. No field goals either. One touchdown. 14 points in the third quarter in 12 games. That's just that is just not good enough. That's never going to get it done. You need to come out firing out of halftime and too often, more often than not, the Bears are coming out flat and they're unable to build up on any momentum, actually on momentum normally that they built up leading into this end of the first half because the Bears' two-minute offense is pretty much the only thing that works for them. I get back to Montgomery, though, because the way he was carrying the ball in the first half, there was no reason that they shouldn't have come out in the second half just trying to feed him the rock, run the clock, and win the game. <sighs> I'm sorry. I just It's so frustrating, and, and it's hard to talk about because you can see how it's out there for them to win these games, and they continue to find ways to lose them. And the old saying goes, Good teams find ways to win these types of games. And the fact that the Bears found a way to lose this game, to me, signifies that they are indeed a bad football team this year. And as far as Matt Nagy is concerned, he's probably coaching his final four games here for the Bears. And that's because his only redeeming quality as a head coach has completely faded away. We've heard about it for almost three seasons now, that Matt Nagy is a good players coach. He's a motivator of men. He is able to get his players to play for him. And in the last two weeks now, we've seen that his players are not getting up to play for him in the same way that they were able to in years past. And I think that's just, it's at the point where his message is starting to run thin on the ears of everybody in that locker room because when your offense has been as bad as the Bears' offense has been for the last two years, it's hard to believe anything the man says when he was brought in here to be an offensive guru and, and turn it around. I mentioned his only redeeming quality was the fact that he got players to play for him because when you look at it, he's a terrible play caller. Gave up play calling duties this year because the offense was so bad. 
terrible clock management. We've seen it over and over again throughout his two and a half years now here that he's just questionable decisions. One, for instance, this game, and I don't know if this is more on Nagy or Mitch, but when they're running that two-minute offense down the stretch and they're past the 50, they get a first, uh, they get a second down. It's coming up. It's third and five, I believe. And they run up and they continue to just run the hurry up. And they let 20 seconds burn off the clock before snapping the ball with 22 seconds left, only for Mitch to throw an incomplete deep ball to Darnell Mooney. Why are you not getting up to the line and spiking it right there? It's an incomplete pass anyway, so you end up at third and five regardless. But in this instance, you give yourself some more time. And then zero in-game adjustments, terrible accountability, tried to call guys out last game. It didn't seem to do anything. The defense came out and played even worse considering the Lions' offense is nowhere near what the Green Bay Packers are able to put on the field. And then I mentioned in-game adjustments. We see it every week, seven points from the offense in the third quarter. Seven points. First half, it was glaring that David Montgomery was the best player on the field for us. And I don't understand why. They're not coming out and giving him the ball almost every play until Detroit forces them to stop. It's just completely maddening, and it's run thin. Like I said, the I don't I can't remember anybody going from Darling to Doghouse as fast as Matt Nagy has in his short tenure here with the Chicago Bears because after that 12-4 2018 season, everyone was strapping in for the long haul. We thought that we had our coach for the next decade plus that was going to bring us back to the promised land, the place that so many of the younger Bears fans have never reached. And here we are. Now everyone's calling for his firing, and deservedly so. He made his own bed. Now he's got to sleep in it. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Not only that, Ryan Pace has to go because you just can't have him back here making first-round picks. You can't have him back here choosing our next quarterback. While the Bears are trending downward, the White Sox are on the rise after last year's breakthrough season. They've made some off-season moves in the last 48 hours. We'll discuss their impact here next on the Old Sport Radio Show on SportstownChicago.com. You know, as long as we all win, that's all that matters. And I'm sure that we're going to have our friendly competition with it all. And that's a, that makes another, you know, a fun aspect of the game. But like you said, that's three, three pretty good ones. And I know that, uh, you know, there's a couple of other ones there, uh, you know, that are going to be fighting for, for spots that have really good stuff and elite stuff. So they're not going to be ones that sit here and not throw their name in to be part of a, a good rotation either. And I'm looking forward to being a part of a really competitive rotation, not only uh, against other teams, but with each other so we can have the most success we can. The voice you heard there was newly acquired White Sox starting pitcher Lance Lynn, and that audio was courtesy of the Danny Parkin Show on 670 The Score. And the White Sox make a couple, I don't know if they're splash moves, one splash move at least, but they start off the hot stove season making a few moves yesterday as they traded starting pitcher Dane Dunning and left-handed pitching prospect Avery Weems to the Texas Rangers for Lance Lynn. And Lynn has one year, $8 million left on his current deal, so 
begs to question, will it be worth it to give up five years of control for Dane Dunning for a one year of a proven starter? Only time will tell, but I think, I, I would hope the White Sox are hoping to maybe extend Lynn as well because bringing him in does give the Sox a formidable one through three option in their starting staff. When you look at his numbers last year, he finished the season 6-3 and three with a 3.32 ERA, 89 strikeouts and a 1.09 whip. Finished 6th, I believe, in Cy Young voting. Right in between the two guys he's going to join on the staff in Dallas Keuchel and Lucas Giolito. And another interesting twist in this trade is the fact that it reunites Lynn with his manager from his Major League debut back in 2011 with the Cardinals, Tony La Russa, where the two won a World Series together that season. Now, like I said, some people are questioning this trade because Dane Dunning showed some promise last year and the, the control on the contract. You have him for five more years, and now you're getting a pitcher who has one year on his deal and can go sign elsewhere after this season if he likes. I think this shows that the White Sox are in win-now mode, and I think it's a massive upgrade for the pitching staff that's looking to win now. Dunning had great upside, don't get me wrong. He had some really good games pitched last season, but when it came down to it, he couldn't be trusted with the season on the line. That was basically what it comes down to. He was, and you know, you could say whatever about Renteria's decision to do to do so, but he didn't even go one inning in his start in that game three of the wild card series against the A's, and things kind of fell apart from there after Garrett Crochet got hurt, and they're all the rest is history. But the whole point is, if you have a guy like Lance Lynn last season. In that moment, he's getting through that first inning. There's not even a thought of having the pitchers warm up in the bullpen. This is a proven workhorse in the MLB. He's been that his whole career throughout a couple different stops. And that's the kind of guy that the Sox needed to add. Now, I will say, everyone's been hoping for Trevor Bauer. So some people think that this indicates that's probably not going to happen in it felt like a long shot anyway, and I, I still am holding out hope that maybe they can give him a blank check and, and just have the best staff in the AL, but that's wishful thinking as well. The important thing is that as the team stands right now, they are better than they were after that last game of the season last year where they were exited from the playoffs. I'm excited. I like what he had to say during his interview on the Danny Parkins show. He's a consummate professional. He's going to come in, and there's going to he's going to instill some competition amongst those other two aces we got there, and Keuchel and Giolito. And I think that is all very healthy for a pitching staff to bring in another guy who you can depend on every fifth day, and in big moments. And I'm I'm thrilled with this move. I I, I saw some some people kind of fighting back against it, and I, I didn't really understand that at all. Now, the other deal that the Sox made yesterday, I kind of understand the pushback a little bit more, but Lance Lynn 
Great addition to this pitching staff. Very excited to see that one through three combo next year. Taking the mound every every day. Now I mentioned the other move that the White Sox made, and they signed right fielder Adam Eaton, former White Sox player, to a one-year $7 million deal. Again, this is not the sexy move that the Sox fans were hoping for. I think everybody wanted them to try and sign George Springer, which, of course, you would love for your team to go out and sign the best free agents available. Unfortunately, as a Sox fan, you should know that's that's not really how this team operates. And I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. Well, this team is different. This team's ready to win now. I thought Jerry really wanted to go for it. And I do still think he wants to go for it, but he's still somebody that's not going to go for it if it's not within his price range or price point. And I think that might be the case with George Springer. There was a lot of articles, one written by Jeff Passan of ESPN, basically saying that Springer was not affordable for the White Sox. And that sucks, but Sox fans should be used to this. It's just the nature of the owner, and that sucks. But it is what it is. And I'm not sure Adam Eaton is an upgrade in right field from... He's an upgrade from Nomar Mazzara when he plays, but I'm not sure he's an upgrade from Adam Engel, who had a pretty good year last year as a better defender. Uh, Eaton, you'd probably argue, is a better hitter, but between the two of them, I think Engel has a lot of upside to kind of turn... and, And showed at times that he was a much better hitter last season than in years past. But it's not, again, this this doesn't feel like a World Series winning move, even though you bring in a guy that is a year removed from being an integral part of a World Series winning team with the Washington Nationals. Now, there are some positives here. He adds balance to the lineup because he has a contact first mentality at the plate, and he's got decent speed and base running and a lefty bat. So those are all things that were, I guess you could say, lacking from this White Sox lineup last year if there was anything lacking. Now, one area of concern is that he does not have a great reputation amongst White Sox fans. And there is a clip that's been circulating around the internet of Ozzie Guillen a few years ago just coming out and flat out saying that no one in the White Sox organization likes you. And we're talking about Ozzie Guillen, World Series winning manager for the White Sox. So pretty sure he has some good connections into that type of information. And obviously, that's not what you want to hear, but if Adam Eaton can come in and help the Sox win a World Series next year, I don't think anyone will care about this trade. But for right now, we've got nothing else to go on other than the information in front of us. And yeah, it's not it's not the best, but they did something. So just be happy that your team's out there doing something. The way I've been trying to look at it and keep it into perspective is the White Sox essentially turned Adam Eaton into Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn because you just traded Dunning for Lynn, who was part of that Eaton trade, and then you re-signed Eaton. And when you look at it through that lens, it's it's really not too shabby. You get two top-end rotation starters and a, I would say, good right fielder. He's not... He's not going to light the world on fire, but he's better than what you had in Mazzara. 
And, and it's up with him and Angle. We'll see what happens. But he's definitely an upgrade from Mazzara. And then here, look at this. This is your potential starting rotation next year. Giolito, Keuchel, Lynn, Cease, Kopech, maybe. And your starting lineup, Tim Anderson, Mancata, Abreu, Grandal, Eloy, Luis Robert, Adam Eaton, maybe Andrew Vaughn or Jake Berger at DH, and then Madrigal, unless they sign someone else for DH. Sox fans need to just stop complaining so much. The team as constructed is better off now than they were at the end of last year, and that's really what matters. Now, I hope these aren't the biggest offseason moves because for the first time in my life, the Sox are considered an attractive free agent destination, and cheaping out in the offseason isn't going to endear Jerry Reinsdorf to the fan base. So that being said, I really hope they go out and give Trevor Bauer the book because that's what I want to see. The college football playoff teams are starting to separate themselves. One of the top four teams, chances in jeopardy, though, after another COVID cancellation. We'll talk about college football's COVID problem when we get back here on the Old Sport Radio Show on SportstownChicago.com. Uh, I think it's one of those things that was put into place early on and um, you know, decisions are made based on the information you have at the time. And then things change as we know, <laughs> our, can our season that was on, and then uh, it got changed to a, con a conference only, then it, it got changed uh, to no season. And then we got changed to a season. So, I mean, there's been a lot of changes and I just think, um, you know, we have to take a hard look uh, periodically at all this stuff. And I think that this is one of those situations. And, um, you know, if, if we don't quite get the, the games we need to get into the championship game, then I think that needs to be looked at hard, just like anybody else in the conference. Um. Welcome back to the Old Sport Radio Show here on SportstownChicago.com. That was the voice of Ohio State head coach Ryan Day in discussing the rule that the Big Ten had in place that in order to play for the Big Ten championship game, a team must play at least six games during the regular season. And this is in jeopardy now for the Buckeyes as their game against the Michigan Wolverines has been canceled this week due to a COVID outbreak. Now, Ohio State is clearly the best team in the Big Ten, but would almost assuredly miss out on the college football playoff if they're unable to win their conference title. And it begs the question, should the Big Ten make an exception, especially considering the team that would replace them in Indiana they already beat this season? And it looks like the answer to that question is yes, as reports are coming out today that the Big Ten is discussing removing the five or six game threshold in order to compete in the Big Ten championship seemingly to open the door for Ohio State to play there and have a chance at the college football playoff. And I believe this is the right decision because, like I mentioned, the team that would have been replacing them in the Big Ten championship game was Indiana, who has had a great season kind of out of nowhere. No one expected them to be as good as they are this year. And it was a tight game with Ohio State. They lost 42-35, to but Ohio State wins that game they prove that they're the best team in the Big Ten, and they do deserve to be playing for the Big Ten Championship. So I'm happy to see that moves are being made in order to accommodate 
pretty much the only team with a realistic chance to represent the Big Ten in the college football playoff. But still, things have the potential to get particularly messy for Alabama, or for Ohio State, excuse me. Even if they are able to play in the Big Ten Championship and win, that will make them the Big Ten champion at 6-0 on the season. The sixth win included, including the Big Ten Championship win. But I still think there's a scenario where Ohio State gets left out, even if they do play and win that game. And I think that is if number one, Alabama loses the SEC title game to number seven, Florida, who is a one-loss team with that one loss being to Alabama. And if number two, Notre Dame, loses to number three, Clemson, who also has one loss, and that one loss came to Notre Dame. So in that scenario, we would have a one loss, Alabama, Florida, Notre Dame, and Clemson, Florida, and Clemson would be their conference champions, so that would give them the upper hand in that argument. But both of their losses would have been to the teams that they beat in the championship game, and that would be the only loss on the season for both of those teams. I think, as we've seen so far this season, Alabama and Notre Dame have been the two best teams. Clemson probably is really the second best team, but without Trevor Lawrence for a few games this year, there's been some inconsistencies. So I think it would be criminal in that circumstance for either Alabama or Notre Dame to miss out on the college football playoffs considering the great season that they had already. So while Ohio State might be getting some good news today with the pending announcement that they're going to be allowed into the Big Ten championship game next week versus Northwestern, I still feel like they have an uphill battle to to getting to the college football playoffs because of the fact that they will only end up with six games played on this season. When we come back, the Bulls kick off their preseason this Friday, and for the first time in two years, I will be excited to watch the game. I'll dive into why I'm optimistic and excited for the upcoming season next here on Old Sport Radio on SportstownChicago.com. Uh, I mean, they just want they just want to make this franchise better. They want to come out and get it right on the first go around, uh, as opposed to you know trying to take a whole bunch of shots and, and missing on all those shots. They're they're making sure that they they take the time and do their due diligence on everything that they're doing. Um, they're very precise at what they want to do. Um, you know, I think what I like about them is that you know they're 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 fully in it with us you know, as a, as a, as an organization, as a franchise, but in, in it with us, as far as like coming to practice, uh, hanging out with us in the training room, talking to us, you know, um, sometimes Mark and uh, Torres are in there lifting sometimes, <laughs> you know, just they're, they're, they're very different from, you know, most of the guys in the front office, they actually are around the team and, and they, they kind of hang out with us and, and, and we have conversations all the time. We're able to sit there and talk with them and joke with them a lot and uh, build their relationship. That's what I like about it. Welcome back to the Old Sport Radio Show here on SportstownChicago.com. I am your host, Pat Riley, and that was the voice of Chicago Bulls forward Thaddeus Young on his Zoom press conference this past week talking about the difference in the new front office compared to the previous regime. And 
Arturis Kernishevis, and Mark Eversley. And that is exactly why I am excited for Chicago Bulls basketball for the first time in years. I am going to be tuning in to their preseason game. Yes, I will be watching a preseason basketball game this Friday. That's how excited I am. There hasn't been this much excitement around the team since the Derrick Rose days. And I and that's because I can't recall a Chicago team making such drastic sweeping changes in one offseason. Now I mentioned there hasn't been much excitement since the D Rose days, but this franchise has fallen so far off since then. D Rose's injuries derailed the a good thing that the Bulls had going and and the Garpax rest in peace. Actually don't rest in peace. I'm glad you're gone. The Garpax regime was unable to figure out how to put a competent team on the court following that devastating series of injuries for Derrick Rose. And I mentioned I can't recall a team, or a Chicago team at least, making such drastic sweeping changes in one offseason. In January last year, I wrote the Bulls off. I said I'm not watching another Bulls game. I will not consume any Bulls content until sweeping changes are made. And here we are less than a year later, and I'm going to be watching a preseason Bulls basketball game. And that's because in the offseason, they cut ties with Gar Foreman. Finally, they reassigned John Paxson to a different role, which I'm not thrilled about, but it's better than him being in a position of power to make decisions. And as mentioned, they hired Arturis Karnishevis as president of basketball operations. They brought in Mark Eversley as general manager from the 76ers. They've put an entire player development team in place. There is a whole team for this regime that is entirely focused on player development. And just for scale, the previous regime had one person in the job. There was one person who did player development for the Bulls under Garpax, and I think that showed through in the lack of player development with players that had drafted. Most importantly, they fired Jim Boylan, who had proved incompetent in his two years on the job. Too often did we hear things about his weird reasonings for not having his best players in the game in the fourth quarter because he's trying to build a winning culture and have his bench learn how to play winning basketball. How could your bench learn how to play winning basketball when they're losing and they're in games where they're losing because you don't have your best players in? But that's beside the point. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Jim Boylan is gone. And he's been replaced with someone who is competent in Billy Donovan, a proven veteran coach with a track record of developing and getting the most out of his talent. Most recently, with last year's Oklahoma City Thunder squad, after they made sweeping changes, including trading away superstar Russell Westbrook. Now, they did have Chris Paul on the roster, who was one of the best point guards in NBA history, and a veteran leader who was going to set the tone for a young squad, but... Other than that, they didn't have really a whole lot on their roster, and they ended up at the five seed in the Western Conference last year and gave 
the Rockets a run for their money in the first round. And that is not something that was expected going into the season. Most people were making fun of the Thunder, wondering if they would win 20 games, and yet they were the fifth seed in the Western Conference and cemented themselves in the playoffs and, again, put put up a good fight against the Rockets, who were ultimately a much more talented team than themselves. And I think that's really important to bring someone like that in here who has a proven track record of getting the most out of his talent and developing players because the Bulls still have a lot of young pieces on their roster that can make an impact on this team. We saw last season Lowry Markinen essentially was a spot-up shooter, a spot-up three-point shooter. And this was coming off his best season as a pro. And for whatever reason, Jim Boylan only let him spot-up shoot. That That's not going to happen this year. Billy Donovan, in a press conference recently, said that he is going to fit his game plan around his players and not the other way around. And whether he knows it or not, this was a bit of a sideswipe at Jim Boylan because he was stubborn as hell and was trying to fit all of his players within his game plan, which was a terrible game plan. His style of basketball is just terrible style of basketball. And we saw a lot of these players regress last season. And I don't think that's by coincidence. I think that is just two years of a coach who was in over his head, didn't know what he was doing. And, and now we finally have someone in place who can help these guys progress in the way that they need to. This is, I'm very excited about this season. Now, it might not all come to fruition this season. As we saw with their first draft pick, they picked Patrick Williams out of Florida State, who is a, he fits the, the current NBA mold and future NBA mold of the positionless player who can guard every position and is versatile and athletic and can do it all. He's not a guy who's going to come in and be your leading scorer and best player on your team. Luckily, the Bulls don't need him to do that because Zach Levine has done a pretty good job carrying that mantle the last two seasons, and I expect him to take another step forward this year after averaging 25 points a game last year, especially considering the NBA released their top 100 players, and Zach came in at number 56, and you know that will motivate him to play well this year, and and I'm excited to see where this team goes. But... Mainly, it's encouraging to hear all those things, especially I'm gonna that Thaddeus Young quote that we came into, talking about how the front office is just going out of their way to spend time with their players. They are working out with the players. They're just talking to them, getting to know them. It's the complete opposite of what we've been dealing with for the past 20 years as Bulls fans. Because John Paxson, he received moderate levels of success, but ultimately he benefited from a a miracle ping-pong ball bounce that got him Derrick Rose, and he was never able to rebound after, after the injuries. And the Bulls organization reached new lows under his tenure. They were unable to attract any big big name free agents for basically 20 years. Carlos Boozer, the biggest free agent they signed, and that was after they whiffed on Bosch, Wade, and LeBron. So not exactly the best consolation prize. And for the first time in a while, 
The Bulls have a defined vision for the future. We know that this might not happen this year, but we're confident that the people in place are going to bring us to where we need to be. The vision is built around player development and doing things the right way, rather than constantly trying to shuffle and reshuffle on the fly, as we've seen these past few years with Garpax, as they tried to bring in Rondo, Rondo and Wade with Jimmy Butler, and that failed miserably with the three alphas, and just every everything they've tried to do in retooling the team just hasn't worked, and it's left the Bulls in basketball hell to the point where they're getting the seventh pick every year and they're not getting impact players. They're not signing impact free agents because the dysfunction within the organization is well known throughout the league. And it really came to a head last season, I think, as players were visibly and sometimes verbally upset with having to play for Jim Boylan and the organization. Daniel Gafford had a a quote on his Twitch page, which was just the least ringing endorsement you've ever heard for a coach. He said he was okay, basically. It was just, it was bad. And it wasn't even in the things that they were saying. The body language was bad on the court. When Jim Boylan would be calling these timeouts with 30 seconds left when they're down by 24 points to, to use it as a teaching moment. Come on, man. These are NBA basketball players. Nobody wants to sit and go through that stuff it's just, it was it was juvenile, it was amateur, and it was embarrassing, and luckily it's over. But for me, uh, the biggest thing is the fact that the people that are in charge now. So AK, he was an instrumental part in turning that Denver's Nuggets team into the team that played for the Western Conference Finals last year. And he's already proving that he's not afraid to shy away from trimming the fat. And we've seen that with the Boylan firing letting Chris Dunn walk, letting Shaq Harrison walk. These are guys that maybe they'll succeed elsewhere, but they weren't a good fit here, and it was time to move on. And and they're working hard towards instilling pride back into Chicago Bulls basketball. And as a Bulls fan, what more can you really ask for? This team was the cream of the crop in the NBA for the better part of a, a decade during the 90s. And they have slowly descended into NBA oblivion with their unusual hires and insular hires and blind loyalty to members within this organization. Now, easily put, a breath of fresh air is being breathed. Breathed? A breath of... This front office is a breath of fresh air for the Chicago Bulls franchise. And it's coming at a time where it was needed more than ever. That's all I've got for you here on this week's episode of Old Sport Radio. I appreciate everybody listening. If you want to get involved with the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. This week, tell me how you feel about the Bears. I want everybody to vent, let it out. I'll read a couple of emails on the air next week. You can shoot me an email at oldsportradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys. This is Pat Riley signing out.